All right, Alexander, let's do an update on what is going on in Ukraine. And I think we should definitely talk about Prigozhin's video that dropped the other day. Quite a provocative, shocking video. What do you think is, uh, is going on with Prigozhin? There's a lot of theories an analysis this is a psyop. There's a row between Wagner and the Russian uh, military. Um, Prigozhin is angling for political position. I've got my own theory, and uh, I'll just say that I think that Prigozhin needs to take a, a little bit of time off. That's my own thinking on this. Um, I also don't think that the Kremlin is going to be very happy with what they saw. It was a very shocking video. And by the way, everyone who wants to find the video, it's it's on Twitter, it's on Telegram. Um, it is age-restricted, by the way. It is age-restricted, so just be aware that it's a pretty a pretty graphic and shocking video. So what what's your take on this? Absolutely, and I think you're completely right. I think he is I think the man is under extreme stress, has been for a very, very long time. And that might, by the way, explain his very latest statement, which came out just about couple of hours ago, literally just before we started this program, in which he's announced that the, pre that the Wagner force will be leaving Bakhmut on the 10th of May and will be replaced by Russian military, by the regular Russian military. I think this is long overdue. I think these people have been fighting in and around Bakhmut for months. And I mean, they absolutely, as Prigozhin himself says, need time to rest and refit. I mean, it, it, he clearly is at the end of his tether. I mean, this, this extraordinary statement that he made to this uh, Russian journalist outfit, uh, War Gonzo, goes by the name of, was really an extraordinary tirade. I, I mean, you know, he, he trashes the Russian military, he trashes uh, its military record, he claims that, you know, the fighting in Syria, uh, uh, the success there was entirely due to the Wagner organization. He says that the victory that took place in Debaltsevo wasn't really a victory at all. Angela Merkel might disagree with that, by the way. Um, he says all of these things, and he accuses the Russian military of corruption, and he says it's riddled with traitors, and he says all of these things. And a few hours later, a few days later, we hear that basically he's been told, well, he's, he's, his troops are pulling out, he's making out that it's all because of ammunition shortages and that sort of thing. But we've also got news that a very senior officer of the regular Russian military, General Mazinsev, has now been appointed deputy commander. And I can't help but think also that this is partly an intention, is to gradually push Prigozhin out. He must be, he is exhausted, he is completely stressed. His men must be extremely tired. By some accounts, over the last uh, month of fighting, they've suffered a thousand casualties. About a thousand of their men have been killed or wounded. And so it's time this force was taken out of the battle and replaced by fresh troops. And I think this is a necessary thing and um, overdue. And it's time that he took a rest. Now, I'm going to just quickly add a point about Prigozhin. Um, he is a civilian. He doesn't seem to have any understanding of the fact that militaries operate 
under a chain of command. And his behaviour over the last couple of months has been of a level of insubordination that would have been unacceptable in any military. He's traded on the fact that the Wagner organisation is a private military company, as he repeatedly says. But of course, and this is an essential point to understand, it is a private military company operating within a conflict over in which the overall charge is that of the Russian Defence Ministry, the, the Russian military, and that without the support of the Russian military, the Wagner organisation could never have been set up in the first place and could never have operated on the battlefields in the way that it has. So, I mean, I think some of the people who tend to be supportive of Prigozhin perhaps need to acknowledge this, that, as I said, no other military, certainly not one, involved in a conflict that I can think of would have tolerated a insubordinate officer talking in the way that Prigozhin has been talking for perhaps as long as the Russian military has tolerated Prigozhin. And that can only be a sign that he's had very high backing from some people at the very top level of the Russian command, uh, political and military st structure. But I suspect that by this point, even their um, patience must have been stretched to breaking point. Well, he called them out. I mean, he specifically mentioned Shoigu and Yerasimov. Yeah, I know. I know. He basically said know. these guys are are sabotaging Wagner. They're responsible for the death of these soldiers who, if you haven't seen the video, Prigozhin was speaking while there were dead bodies behind him. And uh, he said these, these people are, are corrupt. I mean, he, pretty, he, he just said it. And uh, this, this is not how the Putin government in general operates. They haven't operated like this during the conflict. They've been very quiet and very secretive, and, and, and they're very careful in what they say. And uh, in general, this is not how the Putin government operates. Uh, Prigozhin just threw everything out there in the open on social media. So, I mean, this, you know, he's basically what you're saying is, is that this, this guy who's the founder of Wagner, this is his outfit, yeah. is still a civilian. Yes. He's a civilian in Bakhmut in a war zone, and uh, it's it's probably a place where where a civilian, even a billionaire founder of Wagner, should probably not spend too much time in because you know after a while it obviously is going to to affect you. Absolutely, I can I just say I mean I have seen pictures, many pictures, uh, photos, films from the battlefronts, and they have affected me. <laughs> But obviously, I'm not there. Um, Prigozhin insists on being there in the middle of the battle. And as I said, I think it is affecting him. And I think it's causing him enormous amount of stress. And I think he's losing, I think he's losing track of what he's doing. And I, I, I have to say this. I mean, again, it's not just the Putin government that behaves like this. In other words, maintains strict control of information, is disciplined about what it says. 
every single military I know of works in this way. All I am saying is he doesn't seem to understand that he is operating as part of a larger military organisation. And you can't talk like this in public about your commanders. I mean, no military in the world would accept this. And as I said, he's clearly lost control of what he's saying and of what he's doing. And as you rightly say, he needs a rest. Right. So how is uh, the collective West, NATO, Ukraine going to take advantage of this this video because they are going to take advantage of oh yeah of this video obviously well that's ex yeah. well absolutely and of course and they are they're already you know they're going around saying that this is Prigozhin confirming all that they've been saying for a long time about the Russian military that it's corrupt that it's incompetent that it's run down that it's badly led all of those things so in effect what Prigozhin is doing again using I, I'm not sure that this is real military parlance. As I said, I'm an absolute civilian myself, but, you know, giving aid and comfort to the enemy and demoralising his own side. I mean, and that is exactly what is happening. The British Ministry of Defence loves Prigozhin from that point of view. I'm not saying that, you know, they like him in general and that they're not conscious of what his organisation has achieved in Bakhmut. But they love these kind of statements. I mean, they've been referenced several times, several times in the British Ministry of Defence's bulletins. And of course, it does give an impression also of divisions within the Russian command. So there's news that uh, General Mizintsev, who is, yeah. he's, go he's going to be taking over Wagner, Alexander, or he's going to be taking over the Russian forces that are replacing Wagner? Well, that's a very good question. <laughs> who knows? Because I'm um, a little confused but, as to what, no, but yeah, the, what the role the, is. The, the, the announce, you see, we haven't actually had a formal announcement. What we had yesterday were reports that were appearing in the Russian media to the effect that he has been appointed deputy commander of Wagner. But that may not be strictly correct, because this isn't an announcement from the Russian Ministry of Defence. But it does look to me as if somebody took the decision in Moscow that this has gone f as, you know, far enough and that, you know, Prigozhin needs to be taken out of the scene and a professional military officer needs to be put in charge to restore order and discipline to what is going on, either to Wagner itself, which is not impossible, or perhaps to take, you know, a more you know, stable control over the situation in Bakhmut. When I say stable control, I want to stress again, I'm talking only in information terms. I'm not talking about the operational conduct of the battle, in which, you know, Wagner cannot be faulted. They've achieved astonishing things. But information control, information discipline is part of war. You can't fight a war unless you exercise it properly. You can't have commanders going out making those kind of comments, the kind of comments that Prigozhin is making. No military in the world can work that way. I mean, no organisation in the world can work that way. This was more than a comment. That was more than a comment. I know. It was a, it was a, this was a video with, with, with soldiers. With I know with soldiers who had been killed in battle. I mean, that's the, that's the part that's, yes, I know. that troubles me. This was, this was not a, an interview. 
No. This was not something that he was telling a journalist no, I know, I know. I on the record or yeah. off the record. I mean, he no. created an entire yeah. video about video. this. Yes, yes, absolutely. And um, I actually have to say that I do wonder whether perhaps what pushed him over the edge might have been the news that General Mizinsev was coming in and taking charge because Mizinsev actually left his previous post some days ago before that video appeared. The timing is never easy to judge because videos can be made and held back, but this may have been under discussion for a while. So it could be that, you know, he was upset and angry because he learned that Mizinsev has been appointed to take over this position from the ministry. He was a senior official at the Russian Ministry of Defence, a colonel general, which is a very senior post. So um, it may be that, you know, this is what finally pushed him over the edge. He feels that uh, Wagner is being taken from him, even though this man is, you know, deputy. He's nominally his deputy. Who's to say exactly what happened? But anyway, that may, that may explain, to some extent, what he's done. You know, the, the problem is, we're talking about Prigozhin. It's not impossible that some of his criticisms about ammunition shortages and corruption might have some validity. But the way he's gone about doing this is going to undermine his case. And notice... Not a single other Russian commander, not even Kadyrov, for example, who has in the past come across as a, you know, Prigozhin's ally, has come out and supported Prigozhin over this matter. Yeah, I mean, there there might be a lot of truth to what he's saying. I was going to ask yeah. you that: is is are is there trouble with logistics? Is there trouble with uh, with ammunition? Could there be some jealousy? In the ranks of the of the Russian military, because Prigozhin has has effectively drawn a lot of media attention yes. to himself and to and to Wagner. I think all of these things play a role. At the end of the day, we're we're dealing with with human beings here. I mean, so yes. there's, I'm sure there's a lot yes. of emotion and yes. a lot of different things that are yes. happening at uh, at once. But I, I I imagine that Putin, knowing the way he governs stepped in and, and made the decision what what it looks like to be a a switch of, of leadership or or telling Prigozhin to to come back home. I mean this style of 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 disseminating information is not the Putin government's style of doing things at not all. A, not before the thought. war, during the war, this is not how they operate. Absolutely not. And I you know again I want to stress again, I don't think it's it would be acceptable in any army, certainly not the Russian army, and certainly not the Russian political system. You're absolutely right. Certainly not the Putin government. The Putin government likes to keep any disagreements private. They, they, they always want to present a united face to the world. And having somebody like Prigozhin coming out and acting like this, as I said, I think, I think it has lost him, actually, um, all the support that he previously had in Moscow. I mean, he went much too far in the way that he did and parading the bodies of dead Russian soldiers in order to make uh, criticisms of 
senior Russian officers. I mean, that will have provoked enormous outrage. And there will be jealousy. There will be all kinds of Russian commanders in all sorts of other places. In uh, Avdeevka, where, you know, there have been Russian advances. In Vugladar, where there's been very heavy fighting recently. In the Svartovo-Kremenaya area. All kinds of places like that. Who will be fuming that Prigozhin has basically hogged all the attention all over the over the last few months. And there will be Russian soldiers and officers and pilots and people like that who operated in Syria who will be very, very angry also that Prigozhin is trying to insinuate that he was entirely the Wagner organization that won the fight there. So, you know, he's made enemies on every side. The man needs a rest. He's obviously exhausted. He's done if I say this, and I want to stress, you know, despite all of the things I've said up to now, I actually have a lot of, you know, understanding for the man. But he needs a rest. He's not a, he's not a trained soldier. He's not had a military background. He's not somebody who has experienced in the past the face of battle or has been trained to do so. I think this has got... This has got to him. And I think, anyway, the troops under his command are probably worn out as well. So, I mean, it's time that they were relieved. And it is absolutely time that he took a rest. Was it a mistake from, uh, from the Putin administration to allow Prigozhin to, to broadcast from uh, Bakhmut, from the front lines? I, I think mean, at huge... the end of the day, he is a civilian. Yes. I mean, he, yes, he's a billionaire. Yes, he's the founder of, uh, of Wagner, all of these things. But he is a civilian. He has never served in the military. Yes. Yes. I Isn't think it, it will. I very think it unorthodox was. to allow someone like this to stay on the front lines for this long? I think, that's, I think it was extraordinarily unorthodox, very uncharacteristic, as I said, of the way the Russians nowadays conduct war. And I think it was almost certainly many people in Moscow will be saying it was a huge mistake. And um, I think in practical terms it was. I mean, Prigozhin has been complaining about ammunition shortages ever since February. And in all that time, the Wagner organization has kept advancing. So there will be people in Moscow who will be saying, what Prigozhin is doing is he doesn't understand that he has to operate within the chain of command. He considers himself to be outside the chain of command. He obviously feels he's got some kind of impunity to run these kind of campaigns against the people who are ultimately, in practical terms, his superiors and with whom he needs to work in order to be able to successfully conduct operations. And that it was completely wrong and wholly inappropriate to allow a person like that to acquire the kind of role that he did and to run the operation, this media operation from Bakhmut in the way that he has done. Yeah. Okay, so uh, what happens next? Where, where are we with this? Uh, I've read 5% is, is what the, the Ukraine military actually controls in Bakhmut. We're talking a couple of, of kilometers, from what I understand, yes. some neighborhoods. 
Yes. Um, but yes. there I are mean, reports of the of the counteroffensive, and one of the directions that people are talking about is Bakhmut, Zaporozhye, Kherson, and then of course people are talking about even Belgorod in in the north, or maybe multiple directions. And the uh, the RT um, interview with uh, an official who claims that there's going to be a direction towards Transnistria as well. So a I lot mean, of uh, a lot of different possible directions. I mean, can, can can I say that that I I am skeptical about this. I mean, advancing in multiple directions all at the same time, dispersing what looked to be already overstretched Ukrainian forces. I mean, bear in mind we're told that Ukraine has built up twelve, some people say thirteen brigades for this offensive. That's about fifty thousand men. Fifty thousand men are going to be advancing in multiple directions. All right, there's another. There's the rest of the Ukrainian army also, which is, you know, say 100, 200,000 men. Let's say 200,000. Let's say even more than that. Is that really enough, given that they have to defend ground as well as advance? Is that really enough to carry out offensives in multiple directions? I, I think a lot of these stories are being spread to create confusion amongst the Russians about what the Ukrainians intend to do. But I would have thought that assuming that the people in Kiev who are making these decisions haven't, you know, have judgment, which I presume they do, I would have thought that they would want to concentrate their forces in one place and launch a big attack in one place with the limited number of tanks and equipment the West has provided them with. I mean, only about 60 Western tanks there. So, you know, when we're talking about hundreds of Western tanks. Ukraine has perhaps 250 tanks altogether that it's received from the West, but many of these are ex-Soviet model type T-72s. It's only about 60 Leopards and Challenger 2s, 100 Bradleys, 40 Marders. This is not the kind of force that you'd want to disperse across many, many battlefields. The only one that I think, the only possible diversionary move that I think might have some merit to it is the one towards Transnistria. Because the Russian force there is very small. Some say only about a 1,000 men. Most of them apparently are locally recruited. Um, it's lightly equipped. I would have thought that you wouldn't need many troops to advance into Transnistria. And you could do that quite easily and meet light resistance. But you could only do that also if the Moldovan government agrees. And up to this point, they've been reluctant to do that because they don't want to extend the war to their own country. But, you know, that's, that's a possible option. For the rest... I think, you know, there's an awful lot of talk about, you know, attacks in all kinds of directions. I still think the most likely thing is this attack towards, um, in the south, in Zaporozhye region. There's talk that the main axis of the advance will be at a place called Topmak, which is somewhere to the east of Melitopol, if I've, sorry, to the west of Melitopol, if I've understood this correctly, but, you know, I'm not good with maps. But I would have thought that is where the major... Um, attack will come, and that seems to be where most of the Ukrainian troops that are likely to engage in this offensive are 
concentrated. Now, what has been happening is that, on the one hand, Ukraine has been launching what look like, you know, big reconnaissance operations, costly reconnaissance operations. They launched an attack from Orekhov about a day or, a day ago. About you know that was shelled by the Russians and was pushed back. They launched a similar operation in Vugladar, which also seems to have been pushed back with some losses. They're being described as reconnaissances in force. Meanwhile, the Russians are launching missile and artillery strikes on all kinds of positions. They launched what is increasingly looking like a really big attack on a place called Pavlograd, which is to the rear of the forces in Zaporozhye. There was a major arms dump, apparently, and we've seen pictures of a huge explosion that took place in Pavlograd. And there's talk that a lot of the ammunition and supplies that were there have been destroyed. I presume that's right. And there's also talk that an ammunition train was also caught by the Russians in the open and destroyed as well. And more and more reports now of the Russian Air Force launching these precision-guided glided bombs in all kinds of directions, in Kherson region, in all sorts of places, clearly intending to disrupt the offensive before it's launched. But um, I, as I said, just to reiterate again, I, I don't think it's going to be in multiple directions at the same time. I don't think the, the size of the force is big enough for that. Yeah, and uh, I think the the fact that we are seeing the Russian Air Force and these glide bombs is is going to, to make a big difference in the yeah. outcome of all of this. Well, it already is, apparently. I mean, uh, the, the Ukrainians are concerned about this, and their air defense chief, General Ignat, has said that Ukraine doesn't have the means to intercept these glide bombs, which is interesting, by the way, because the Russians claim that they've just intercepted a Ukra uh, uh, an American glide bomb launched by a Ukrainian aircraft, which suggests that the Russians do have the capability to intercept American glide bombs. You see again, if this, is, if, this is, if this report is correct, the difference between the Russian air defense system and the Ukrainian one. Yeah. All right. Uh, anything else that we need to, to discuss before we wrap up this video? Well, I, I, as I said, I, I'm going to be. I'm going to say this about. I'm going to return to Prigozhin briefly again. Um, I, I, even even I have started to get tired of this drama with Prigozhin. I mean, every single day now, I get up and I wait to see what latest thing Prigozhin has been saying. So, if I've been getting tired of it. I'm not surprised that people in Moscow have. And as you absolutely rightly said, Putin likes to run a tight ship. Prigozhin looks like what we say in, call in Britain, a loose cannon. I've managed people myself in the past. You have as well. We both know that if you're a manager, you just can't work with people who behave in this kind of erratic way even if a lot of what they say might be justified and true. There comes a point beyond which insubordination goes too far. And I think Prigozhin crossed that point a few days ago. So, yes, I'm not discounting 
everything that he said. But I, I do think it is time for him to go. Yeah. All right, we will leave it there. The Dorea.locals.com. We are on Rumble, Rockfin, Odyssey, BitChute, and Telegram. And go to Durant Shop, 10% off. Use the code. Good day. Take care.